Welcome to the Addiction Connection Podcast, connecting the hope of the gospel with the heart of addiction. I'm your host, Mark Shaw, and I've got a co-host with me today. His name is Josh Brunk, and Josh is stateside. He's normally in South Africa, but he is in Laurel, Mississippi today. Am I right, Josh? Is that where you are? Yes, correct. Yeah. And who are these lovely people next to you that are related to you, but they probably don't want too many people to know that. So maybe I should <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we can edit that part out. So, no, this is my this is my aunt Carol. It's my mom's sister. For those of you that know my mom and dad, and then her husband Ray. And so Ray and Carol Hartwell, they have been missionaries in Chile, South America, for 14, 14 years. Uh, they've been back stateside for sixteen, 16. years, and so they're here to share the testimony of. Uh, of their journey through some depression, anxiety, and different struggles over the last uh, six years. Six years, yeah. Yeah, and people really need to hear your story because a lot of people think, you know, I'm experiencing anxiety or I'm experiencing depression. You know, am I a Christian? Am I normal? What's broken inside of me? How can I fix this? All those kinds of questions and things. And so your testimony will be a great encouragement to many of you. I like to start off podcasts with scripture. Philippians 4, I always read this, but it's just so good. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I I got to stop right there. I mean, that's so convicting, just reading that one verse, because I get to where I grumble and complain. And Josh, I know you're like me. We're both kind of discerning people who see through things and pick things apart. And so we have to fight against that and just be joyful and rejoice in the Lord always. Um, But then verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You know, he's right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Josh, did you want to say just something briefly about that or or not? Yeah, no, it's, it's just such a, such a wonderful passage of Scripture. And even tying it in with verse 9 there, that practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. The peace comes from God. It's not because of any methods or any any uh, legalistic standards that we apply to our, ourselves or our own lives. It is because we are attached relationally with our God. We recognize him as our father, and that's where that peace comes from. And, and, and from there, it's easy to then rejoice. If we understand that it's him that brings that peace, the rejoicing is automatic, and, and it'll happen in the midst of suffering. Even and It just is so much better what we have for us because our God is our father. Amen. Well, let's hear how Ray and Carol practiced these truths in their lives with their testimony now. We ended up here. We were in Chile 14 years. Okay. We were in Argentina first, then we went to Chile, then we came back in 2006. Okay. And we ended up here in Laurel because the pastor of the church here was a fellow seminary student with me okay. at Capital Bible Seminary. I also did an internship in a church where he was at. And our kids were offered scholarships in the Christian school here. And the church offered us a home when we came back. So in 2006, I think in August, end of July, we moved here to Laurel. So we've been here 16 years. There was just, there's been a a life dominating sin problem. And I never saw it as such a drastic thing spiritually speaking carol knew i knew you know we i'd say things talk but after the heart attack and which was my second one in june of 2016 then i had bypass surgery triple bypass wow and made a very quick recovery and was actually going to start back at the christian school and I did. I went back over there to start teaching. And I was overwhelmed. That's when the anxiety started. 
I became super sensitive to noise. I wanted, uh, I didn't have a loving thought for the kids at the time. It was really, it was really a battle for these kids with the kids. And so I just knew I can't continue. I was really, really stressed out. So, and then I started having the sleep issues and they changed me. I mean, every couple of weeks I was on something else trying to get some sleep. And it really did become a crisis that spiraled downward. And in, well, I don't know, dates like. For what? Well, we just tried so many different kinds of meds and things. At some point in November, maybe early December. Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I had a a massive anxiety episode that lasted for about two hours. We had had Thanksgiving at our house. We had some people there. And again, I'm still not sleeping. I'm struggling really big time. And I go back in our bedroom, which was a large bedroom in an older home. And I thought I was going to have to call the ambulance. And I was really crying out to God. I mean, it was it was overwhelming. I Again, I've never had it like that since then. But that night was really kind of when things kicked off. Thanksgiving, November 2016. And then shortly after that, God truly ripped my conscience open. Everything I had ever thought or said or looked at came back. Mm -hmm. And it was just like I'm looking at a movie reel. I'm seeing this show, the whole repeat of my life, how all this got started, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then the overwhelming part of it is the guilt that comes, the despair. How could I be truly converted? And so... I wanted to go, I asked the elders here of the church, James 5, I'm going to go and confess my sin to the elders. And I want the magic formula. I want to be delivered like right now. I don't want any kind of process. So I go and we did the James 5 and I still had something there that I hadn't quite confessed that first session. And I told them during the week, And they said, well, we can't meet right away. And I said, we have to meet right away. I need to get this dealt with. So I went back with the elders. You weren't there the second time. No, Carol wasn't with me. And really got my, I mean, I confessed everything. And I just still very dark, very discouraged. And I don't know the exact dates of that. If that was January, I really don't remember. We'd gone to Ohio. We came back. January. Okay. So it was the second week of January, but I was in a really deep pit, not sleeping. I really had cut myself off. I was staying back in the bedroom all the time. The lights down, was wearing headphones, sunglasses. I just didn't want to come out. And this even made it worse. And I really thought I was condemned. I really thought this is, you know, I'm lost. I was never converted. And I never got to, I'd I'd say, I have to say, I didn't really get to that desperate of a stage. And then I don't know the day, January 15th, was it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was a Sunday in 2017. Carol went to church and I ground up a bunch of different things that they'd been giving me into a, into a powder, put them in a water bottle, filled it with water and jumped in the car. I never went to church that Sunday, drove up the highway, ran off in the woods and took one swig and I was in the woods for two nights. I just was passed out and they were looking for me searching. And then I came out on my own two days later on the 17th is when I came out. And that's when the reality of what I had done. And that's when the real despair came as far as the shame. Here's the Bible teacher of the local Christian school trying to kill himself out in the woods. What is wrong with this? And I just couldn't handle this. I didn't want to see anybody, didn't want to face anybody. And I had a really hard time. But in the very beginning, I'm in the hospital. I'm in an observation room. And they've got me chained in there, basically. (laughs) And they're sitting there looking at me through an observation window. It wasn't very private. 
And I'm like, man, this is just, I cannot believe this. One of the parents of one of my, I had a couple of students, their dad was at the hospital. I could see him through the window sitting out there. I never saw his face, but I knew it was him. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what he's thinking about me right now. I mean, it was unbelievable, the mess. So the hospital, what was the plan? You could share. They said we had to go somewhere or what was the, how did, how do we get up? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know how I got out of the hospital. Actually, I don't know what happened. <laughs> so, well, the Lord worked it out that we were able to be in a private room as long yeah. as someone was with him 24 seven, which, so we were in that state for a few days, but we had to have a game plan and a friend over in, Atlanta, out north of Atlanta, who we had known for a while, knew of a church out there, a large church that had a program. And it ended up not working out to get into that program, but that's what got us out of the hospital, got us to Atlanta. They offered a different type of care. We got a place. Right, right. Yeah. And, and we had friends there and they had a pool house, let us stay there. So God was just very gracious in all the details. And he left out a lot of details. <laughs> One of the things that happened during this whole sleep process is that I had gotten onto a benzo and I kept taking more and it would work very long, very limited. I mean, it was unbelievable. The law of diminishing returns. It just didn't work after a while. And I started taking more on my own. I'm self-medicating. And I messed up. And after I got out of the hospital, I'll never forget this. One of our men in the church here, one of the elders is a pharmacist. He manages one of the main pharmacies here in town. When we were leaving Laurel to go to Atlanta, Carol was driving. Of course, I was a disaster. But he walks out with the, the prescription of the benzo. And it says something like every three or four hours or as needed. And he had it circled and he said, don't do this. Don't take it like this. You're going to just really be messed up. And so I did my best to not take it, you know, as often, mostly at night to try to go to sleep, which I became definitely addicted to that one. That was a biggie. And so while we're in Atlanta, we were in a, a somewhat, well, it's a big church there. And we had an integrationist type counselor. And I, and I know the care. I'm not doubting the care, but again, the whole methodology. And during that time, I just cycled down again, got discouraged, still struggling. And I don't know what all I was taking. I'm really not even sure. We had tried a couple of different things. Well, I think a big part of it to know is that when we were on the mission field, Ray's, you know, the books you read, the right. group, very anti-medication. Also, I think the seminary, the part about our view of depression definitely changed after Ray yeah. became depressed. You know, we didn't really understand that. That meeting with the elders the Thursday before his attempt, we were in there. One of the elders is a medical doctor. And I said, I think Ray's depressed. And he said, yes, Ray's severely depressed. So. I just look back at that as how naive I was. I had never experienced it before. And so I was not, I was not looking for, you know, I was not aware and kind of caught us off guard for sure. Well, while, while we were in Atlanta, actually we were north of Atlanta in the church and in the church there and going to this one particular counselor. And at one, at one moment, when I was in there, I felt the counseling, again, I believe the people care. I believe this person cares. But there was just, a, I just had an uneasiness about the, the methodology. And a few of the questions were a little bit too much probing and digging into things that I didn't want to think anymore about. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of locked up again. I didn't want to go to see anybody. We did make another contact with a very sincere biblical counselor over there. He's well known in a few of the very conservative Bible churches and churches we know, Reformed churches. And uh, went to him a few times, had some whatever. I don't know. I was just at a point of really 
discouragement again, major. And so I had a another bottle of of Tylenol with codeine or not codeine. It may be, I don't know what it yeah, was. Yeah, we had all his meds locked up, but I didn't know about this Tylenol that he knew about in the bathroom. So I gobbled a bunch of those down. Next thing I know, I'm at the hospital again. And again, this is the second attempt. And, and this whole time, the spiritual side is what was just crushing me. I mean, it was unbelievable. I am lost. Hmm. Uh, how could I ever have deceived myself to get to this point to do what I did and have done? And now I'm hearing this again, and my family, my wife, my kids, and, you know, it was just over for me. So in the hospital in Georgia, I believe this is the law. I was told this. If you publicly verbalize that you want to commit suicide or you're going to do that, you're going to be put in some kind of a, they're going to, I don't know if it's called arrest or, yeah, they're going to take you in for observation. You could say it maybe carelessly and someone hears it, they're going to report you and you're going in. So I ended up in a place over there. I won't mention the name. And I was in a place where, again, I am I am like, we're talking hardcore drug addicts coming off the street, doing heroin and everything. They have patches and they're up 36, 48 hours throwing up and diarrhea and are yelling and screaming. And I'm in this place. Mm. And I'm like, this isn't really very helpful. <laughs> and they check on you every 15 minutes in this place. They open the door, shine the flashlight on you. And I'm, I'm like, but I've got sleep problems here. I, I don't need you opening the door, shining a light on me. So, I mean, it was just, but here, here's, go ahead. No. The one thing, this, this is the grace of God. Spoil the Egyptians, whatever you want to call it. The psychiatrist that was there was an older gentleman. He got me off the benzo and he tapered me off mm. and he, and I got on something else that was not a benzo, a diazepam type thing. And it's a chemical sleep, whatever. I wanted to sleep. It worked. I got off the benzo. And so that I really do thank God for And After a couple of weeks of being there, when my wife finally told me, if you keep saying you're thinking about killing yourself, they're not going to let you out of here. So I decided to, I won't say that anymore. I just want to get out of here. It was unbelievable, this place. And so Carol came and picked me up again. Well, again, we had to have a plan, and yeah, we did. Yeah. And um, I, the one positive thing, another positive thing about that place is that he had unlimited access to the telephone, which was amazing to me for a place like that. So right. I would get calls throughout the day. I'm dying. <laughs> I can't stand it. And then you'd hear these oh my. people in the background cussing and fighting. It was, it was killing me. And then to go yeah. into this place, you felt like you were going into a prison because they check everything and then go here and don't do yeah. this and go over here and make sure you're doing this. But, you know, again, God's, God was so gracious in all of that. Looking back, when you're going through it, it's pretty hard. But right, right. yeah. Well, the counselors in the place again. I, I don't believe at any point I had any kind of counselor that was indifferent. There was a you know the hum, human compassion, the common grace. I think the people again talking to me were concerned, but their solution it was just secular talking, whatever. And I, I just, it just, nothing was going on. So what happened was at one point, it was interesting. The pastor of the church here that I'd gone to seminary with, he told me on the phone after this second attempt, and I was beginning to struggle that I knew I was putting Carol through a real mess over there, away from family here, away from the home church, this church we had been in. And the pastor said, we're the same age. I'm a little bit older than he is. He goes, and he, these are his words. He goes, you need to bite the bullet and come back. The church has forgiven you. The leaders mm -hmm. have forgiven you. This is your church home. 
And I said, okay, I didn't want to come back, but sure. And along with that, talking to one of the elders on the phone, I said, Alan, you know, we don't want to be a burden. And he said, that's, that's why we're here. You need to come back. We're your church family. So. And that was yeah. the start of the, that was the beginning of the. That was the beginning of real serious change. When we came, when again, when I came back, there was still a lot of shame and guilt. I just didn't want to go to church. And so for the first several weeks, the leadership was trying to give me some space, but they also, they were loving, but confronting too. There are things here you've got to address and you've got to get some things in order. And anyway, just some other struggles here, but I tried to take communion and that just, I could not take communion in the church. I could not. I could mentally, I struggled with it, but I felt physically uneasy. And I didn't want to be going to sleep like in a first Corinthians. I was already sick enough as it was. I don't need something else here with God's hand on me. Right. And so it was this, it was a year ago, this December. Christmas yeah. Eve. December of 2021. I had begun to read the Bible again, the book that was given to me, Gentle and Lowly, and The Heart of Christ for Sinners, and I can't remember what else it says there. But I was reading about a, a sentence or two a day. That's how messed up. It was hard for me to get back into reading. And it, he would also take those quotes and he would put them on a family chat that we have. And he would say, and he would type out that whole quote, and then he would say, pray for me. Hmm. And then a few days later, yeah. he'd put another quote and say, pray for me. Well, I finally got through the book, and God really did begin to use it. I'm hearing messages. I told the, the pastor, again, we're friends, Pastor Jerry. I said, I don't think you have any idea what the Holy Spirit's doing with your message in my life. I said, there's no way you could know what God is is telling me. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like every message is just pounding me here. It's like unbelievable. And but yet God was using it in his mercy. He, I believe he granted me repentance. I really do. I'm totally, totally sure of that. And so in December, I took communion and didn't die. And I felt OK. So I thought, well, things are getting better. And then sometime in February of this year, I have it in my phone. I wrote a little note out, but my sleep is still messed up. I wake up several times in the night, but I'm not fighting it. I'm not anxious about it. It's okay. And I was reading, I go through the one-year Bible and I was reading. I hadn't again done that for a long time, but I was reading and all of a sudden, I just had kind of a, an epiphany or a very cathartic experience where I realized I'm not feeling any anxiety. And I, I'm like the birth and, and for this is a, I'm telling you, Dr. Shaw, this after I made the first attempt, I I really believe without exaggeration, I had thoughts of suicide hmm. in maybe seconds or minutes. It was just and it went on for years. I was exhausted. It was like every, this would just come back and then the pictures would come back and the images, the thoughts and the things. And I was just struggling so much with this. It was, it was incredible. And that was just gone. It was as if God had given me a, like it, it he cleansed it away. And that was February. And I texted the men in the church, probably 5.30 in the morning, telling them, yeah, I really believe, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and God's restored me or converted me or something. But I was so thankful. And since then, God has really been merciful. But I, I'd like to say this, my wife right here was really critical in this whole thing. She did kick me to the curb. And... When we went to Atlanta, I mean, even the whole thing here to move out of this area, we left our home. We had a big home. Our family's here, kids in Jackson, kids in Laurel. 
we go over there. Carol, I just shared this with you, but probably for the first couple of weeks until she lost her voice, Carol was singing to me about all day long singing hymns. I'm literally lying on the floor. I'm just lying there. I don't, I don't have any motivation, no energy. I am physically, I thought I had damaged something internally, like my central nervous system from the drugs that I had taken when I did the first time. Mm. That's all cleared up. And so Carol, my kids. Reading through books, trying to find yeah. lots of books. Right. Lots and lots of books. Carol, again, put up with a lot. The leadership of the church, my family, kids telling me, Dad, we still love you. Da 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 da. There was, it, was, it was big. And then the church here to come back and have the leadership be, be very forgiving, but also lovingly confronting and trying to push me along, get, get moving. And now it's almost like when I first came back, when we first came back from over there, I, I didn't want to go out in public. And I would see people, and then I'd try to hide. I don't want anybody looking at me. I don't want anybody talking to me. And it's all gone. It is absolutely gone. I, I'm really forgiven. And I've been meditating. I'm going to share at some point in the men's meeting some Saturday morning here. But one of the, the songs that's just stuck in my mind is, What Shall Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What shall make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I've been made whole again. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm I'm really thankful. And so it's uh it's really a praise. And I'm thankful Josh's testimony too. I know from a lot of the things that have happened, what he's gone through, it's been a blessing. He was always an encouragement and through Mike too. And yeah, we so. called Josh several times from Atlanta and then we'll over back here. Yeah. It's like, Josh, what can we do? Ray would talk to him. He was one of the few people he would talk to hmm. and just share what was really going on. And Josh yeah. would listen and very sympathetic. And, and it was interesting, even in God's providence, I think, because a lot of um, my later parts of my struggles, I was actually living with Carol and Ray in our house. And so they got to see me at some of my worst times. And I, I think that may have opened the the door now to yeah, be able to yeah. say, hey, look, this is there's still maybe some victory that can be can be gleaned just by, by the, the testimony of what God had done in my own situation. Um the one of the things that definitely impacted me so much is just how faithful you were in the process, Carol, of following him around, not just sending him off places and then like praying for him, but <laughs> going and living nearby and living with him and right, reading right. to him and singing to him. Do you, what are your, what, from your perspective, how do you see the change from that complete hopelessness to starting to recognize maybe some biblical truth to even coming fully out of it? Well, you know, I, I am thankful. People have said, how did you do it? How could you, you know? And truthfully, I look back at that time and it was a it was a wonderful time for me. So I know that was only God because, well, for one, he had quit his job. And then when he had the attempt, I was the director of a pregnancy center and I quit my job. And in four days, I went through my house and said, save these things, get rid of everything else. And we got rid of a 5,000 square foot home and everything in it. And what triggered that was thinking I might be a widow at one point because we couldn't find Ray and knowing that in God's sovereignty is it's really interesting when Ray had preached through the book of Genesis and he had talked about Jacob coming back when he when Jacob left the sun was setting and then it says the sun was rising mm -hmm. when Jacob was coming back in obedience to mm -hmm. God that was my scripture reading the morning we found Ray. So early that morning, I was reading that. I said, God, if you would, if you would allow him to be alive, Amen. that we would put you first in every area. And, um, so 
at eight o'clock we got the call that they had found they had found him and so praise god knowing that it's all been god and sustaining us through scripture truthfully i was as i was reading i was trying to find the answer as we read spurgeon and we read what other people had gone through one was just to see that it wasn't totally was i don't know the word abnormal like mm-hmm. other people had been through it and if other people had been through it and made it and so some of our search took us strange places i have to admit that but praise god that in his word he gave us clarity he gave us wisdom at one point i remember realizing especially with internet and the resources out there mm-hmm. and i'm a very detailed person so god gave me a piece that it's okay you know you you don't i wanted to find the answer mm-hmm. and i know i found lots of answers but i don't know what that answer was so as ray started getting better as he allowed people to talk to him as we continued reading the Bible. Even at one point, I felt like, because I was sharing a lot about God's mercy, our God is merciful. Look back at this time when you were reading scripture and you were underlining your Bible. And who was that? What about all these years in Chile serving the Lord, church planting? He couldn't hear any of it. Somehow he would justify that, you know, that God used him in spite of his not being a believer because we don't believe you can lose your salvation. So therefore the only other was that he was never a believer. And so we, you know, through that, but at one point I thought I didn't even know, you know, I had to be careful because the more I said, God is merciful or or look at this, he would counter it Mm -hmm. with the opposite. I'm like, am I ingraining this? even harder so that kind of made it hard you know just just figuring out what my role was to be through all this and i think a big part of it was prayer and patience and waiting on the lord and seeing the lord and knowing what was it it was god using all the things the health stuff the reading of his word but I find it interesting to even just look at, I mean, you, you've always taught sovereignty, very strong sovereignty. You understood sovereignty in, in this period of years. You had a, a thwarted view of God's sovereignty, still strong sovereignty, but a thwarted yeah. view. And in your case, you just lived out the practical application of biblical sovereignty in Amen. your characteristic. And I, and I wonder how much even that testimony to, to Ray and I feel the similar thing in, in between me and Futi, and, and like I have a strong teaching of God's sovereignty, but she lives it out so much better than than, than I actually do, and and so it's it's just neat how God puts that together. Um, just to add on a little bit from my perspective of that testimony of Ray, just turning everything to the negative, like you would you would talk about all the condemnation you saw in Proverbs or something like that. And I would, well, let's get out of Proverbs. Let's go somewhere else then. And we would go to like the most hopeful passages of scripture, some psalms or something, and somehow he would find... There was always the wicked. Or he would open his Bible and his eye would go to the other page. He goes, did you see that? I think God put that there for me to see it. All this negative... It was um, the the character in Pilgrim's Progress, the man in the iron cage, is is what I often thought of when I thought of Ray during those years. And it was just a hopelessness of of really his own making and not to discredit God's involvement and judgment in whatever or guidance and discipleship in whatever. It was a man stuck because of his own thinking and he couldn't get out and nobody could help him out. And so just to see even God's mercy and, and, and getting you through those mm-hmm. years to the point of saying it's not works, right? I mean, isn't isn't that where you ended up getting? Right. It's not the works right. of wickedness. It's not the works of righteousness, which gained God's favor, but it's all his mercy. And that's where we stand on a daily basis. And, and so, tell, so this last year, then, you've been able to... Yeah, the last year has been probably, a, I don't know, one of the better for me as far as I'm able to work and do things with internet and websites 
but the reading has come back. I'm able to read the Bible and reading study books just like before. And so the clarity in my mind has come back. Everything else is shut off. It's just shut off. If I have a bad thought, I ask, I repent, go on, God, I, I don't want these thoughts. I don't entertain anything. And I would never want to mess with anything again, that's for sure. Believe me. And then God's opened up the doors to be able to use even this whole process in ministry now. Right. I know we've had you call one of the guys in, in Village Mercy there yeah. in South Africa and try to talk through some of the struggles he was having based on your experience and your victory through right. it too. Right. And sharing well, I'm going to be able to do more of that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any follow-up questions? <laughs> You're like CJ. CJ always hijacks the uh, podcast. No. Oh, you gave me permission. I, I don't know if you always give CJ permission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm laid back. No, this is good. This is the easiest podcast I've ever had to do. This is great. I mean, uh, to hear the the stories. And um, I, I think about... You guys, you know, you, you do wonder, was I saved? Was I not saved? You know, but Christians deal with anxiety and struggles. And I think about Matthew 6, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you think some of your anxiety, Ray, was having to do with thoughts of the future and tomorrow or, or was it just something? Totally well, it really, it really was. And what I, when I started back teaching, I had had the triple bypass and I really did feel actually physically, everything was clear. And, but when I got back to the school, something just the circuit went off, went on. But I couldn't deal with all of a sudden there was this noise intensity in the kids. And I, I don't think I was fully recovered. I believe one of the beta blockers that I was on, mm. and I'm on a I'm on one that I've been on for years, but they put me on a pretty hardcore one. And I think I had some withdrawal symptoms trying to get off of it, but I think that may have been affecting me there. But I do remember when I went to the headmaster and said, I just can't come in and teach. I was overwhelmed with how do we pay the mortgage? I don't have an income. Mm -hmm. The elders are going to give me a hard time. I need to have a job. And da 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 da. It was just, it was very heavy. I was very, very concerned. Even after the first attempt, I talked about trying to get a job and struggled. So, probably was a component. I'd say that was some of what happened there for sure for sure and i and i had read um i'm trying to remember i think it's tommy nelson if you look it up denton bible church there's a a testimony about him online we had visited that church years ago and he shares where he had a period of anxiety and it didn't last very long and i had read about I don't know if it was Oswald Chambers or someone else, one of those men that, that's written some devotional books. He had a period of about four years where he said he had no sense at all of the presence of God and that the Bible had become an incredibly boring book to him. He just, it was pretty much wrote. And so, yeah, I'd say physically there was the part of life that I was worried about hmm. providing for my family, paying the mortgage on the house paying health insurance, and then, you know, what am I going to do now? So, yeah, I would say that was in there. No I fear of the end. Yeah, the, sorry. Yeah, it, I, I think it, it did, yeah. But then again, the whole sleep thing really tore me up. I don't know how many different things we kept trying. We tried a number of different things, really? and... When I had gone back to the doctor, nurse practitioner, who was more of a natural type, not as much into some of the other, but she'd say, like, how'd you sleep? I said, maybe an hour. I mean, it was just nothing worked. And then I had this 
I fall asleep, but then I wake back up and then I'm terribly frustrated that I'm going to be wide awake for 20 hours and trying to sleep and I can't sleep. So that brought on a lot of anxiety. And, and then when this whole sin issue came back, that's when I realized, I, I mean, I have really let something get out of hand here and have not dealt with sin, my repentance or whatever it was. And that was a, that was a real shocker. You know, I, I read the book by John Murray. It's his book on biblical ethics. I've read it a couple of times. I don't mark in all of my books, hmm. but it's amazing the things that came back to me that I read. I read his book on biblical ethics. And there's a sentence in there. I think he quotes it's a song. Maybe it's a proverb now. I could find it. It's, my books are put away. But I had underlined the one verse that when he went back to look where the wicked had been, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. And just the whole thought of, I'm gone, man. I mean, no one's ever going to remember me. That is a serious existential crisis. I thought, this is it, man. My life has been worthless. And I'm going into wherever. <laughs> it's like, it's over. The other one was, ju- was it's the guy that's uh, a Metropolitan, Peter Masters. He has a little booklet on the conscience. Again, I read it a few times. I used it in Chile, taught different things out of it. And he, he mentions in there that sometimes the light on your dash never comes on and your conscience is asleep. But then all of a sudden that light comes on and it won't go off. So you can try drinking. You can try all these different things, but the light keeps coming on until you take a hammer and smash it. It may not go off. But he talks about it coming back like a roaring lion. My conscience tore me up. It was really, I mean, I could tell any kind of group of men that, guys, you're playing with something you really don't want to experience. It was really devastating. It was like, and and something too that I hadn't mentioned, and Josh knows too, but you're familiar with Pure Life, right? Right. Yeah, you're up, that's in your area. I went up there for about a week. <laughs> I think I set a record. They said before that the longest, any, the shortest time anybody had stayed, I may, I may have the record now. I'm in a, I'm in a dorm room with 15 or 20 other guys. And these guys' alarms are going off at four o'clock in the morning. I've been asleep a couple of hours, and now I can't go back to sleep. And besides that, my conscience is still just killing me. And I'm going to go over and work at the Ark Encounter and look at a reminder of God's judgment on the world. I don't want to see that. I don't want to think about that. We were. I, I was so excited when he told me where he was going to be working. I said, "This is just wonderful." And then. Yeah. Report I got. I'm he telling you, handle it. Oh my goodness! I, I still need to call the guy back. Ken is still there, and he was so patient. Kept talking to me. Kept sharing. They have a pretty strict biblical diet there, devotions and you know messages and stuff. And yeah. I was still terribly anxious, still really having struggles. And they have a different style. I don't know if you've ever been to a service there. But when you go into the evening, you know, the church service or on Sunday, uh, <laughs> you sit there for about 20 minutes or a half an hour just waiting until I guess someone decides it's time to start. <laughs> and while I'm sitting there, I'm like, I have the energy of a pinball machine here. I'm going to bounce out of here. I'm going to get up and run. I'm not going to wait for this message. I had a hard time, man. I was just like, it was it was amazing there. So I, I called Carol. Carol was in Ohio. I said, you have to come and get me. I'm going to run off somewhere. I'm not, I'm going to stay. Yeah, and I didn't want to be the enabler. Yeah. He knew yeah. I was driving back from Ohio back to Mississippi on that day, which happened to be our anniversary. Mm. And wow. he called me up in the morning. One of those phone calls again, <laughs> Carol. I am dying. Oh, 
So I got up that morning. I told my parents I was going to go by and pick up Ray. My dad was like, is that a good thing? So anyway, it was a hard, it was very hard, but I didn't want, because of his emotional state, I didn't want him out on the road hitchhiking. And um, so anyway, I picked him up. Our family was so supportive. We yeah. didn't have Zoom at that time, but our kids set up. We, we stopped halfway, got a hotel and had a call with all our kids. Yeah, a messenger call. And they were so supportive. You know, I thought it was the most wonderful call, most wonderful thing, anniversary gift. Ray was like, that was terrible. <laughs> but that was his yeah. viewpoint on everything right. at that point. So that's okay. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I honestly struggled with Carol always being happy and joyful. And I'm like, this is the worst thing that could be going on here. And I, I just said, where, where is she getting this from? I don't have it. I don't know what's wrong. So that was, that's why we had to tone down singing so much and playing music. It was like, right. I mean, Carol, could you please turn that down? And I didn't do it to offend him. I right. Really right. So. Uh, you're trying to even help him in the process. I'm sure. Right. I think it's interesting you kind of brought up a, a biblical principle of the you know, how many years did it take for your sin of, of sowing that seed and watering that wow. seed and cultivating that seed, the Galatians 6 principle, before it grew into this monster. But what's interesting is that often repentance, biblical repentance, is sowing seed and it takes a process of time. So the, the, the thorough repentance was actually done way back at the beginning of your struggles. It was done properly and biblically, I'm assuming, even though there may be more elements of repentance that came later. Yeah. But it started way back then, and, and God doesn't necessarily just, just like he doesn't strike us dead when we, we sin immediately all the time. He also doesn't grant us peace and and, and uh, comfort immediately upon repentance. There's, there's some uh, cultivating of that repentant heart and attitude that, that is done over the course of several years in your case. And I, I think where you've shared, right? Yeah. You still yeah. harbored anger. You were angry at God. Yeah, I was for quite a while. But one of the verses that he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And what a warning. I mean, mm -hmm. you just you just really better be careful. It, it, it came back to me. This, this really happened at seminary. I went to Capital Bible Seminary. And it was in my last year. We had a... A biblical counseling class and again i love the the school there it was a wonderful time three years of greek and hebrew and all that but i was assigned the topic of depression or i chose it i think so each of the students does a presentation to the rest of their classmates but we also prepare a folder of resources for each of the other students so if there's 15 students in there when we leave the seminary, we have a little file box of a folder on a topic. And so anorexia, bulimia, eating disorders, whatever it might be. And so mine was on depression and I just didn't take it seriously at all. I was kind of making fun of it. But clear back, I went to seminary in 86 to 89. So this would have been 88, 89. This would have been 1989. To, so we're talking now how long ago? 30, 33. 33 years. Even back then in the research I was doing, they were over medicating. That was already in the book. That was already in some of the magazines I was reading. And I don't remember all the, the particular meds and stuff, but they were over prescribing. And I just remembered that back then. But I did kind of make fun of it. And I would never again especially when you read psalm 88 in the darkness that's there and how that ends there doesn't seem there seems to be a real problem this person's in death it's like death here and yet they're still alive and so i don't know i i just wouldn't i don't know but i'm thank i'm i just thank god i'm 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 in a place that i never was before i feel like a new person it's amazing even though I've had bypass and a couple of heart attacks, <laughs> I'm really you. thankful, man. God's God's had mercy. God knows how to return. Yeah, so yeah. great. Do you attribute that just to, to uh, 
to figure out specifically where you guys attribute the the start of the um, recovery back into restoration, redemption, whatever it was. Do you attribute that to the obedience to the call back to the local church that you're, or was that part of it? How do you see that? Yeah, I would attribute it to that when we came back to Laurel. And I didn't go for the first few weeks, and Jeremy basically said, uh, you know, he would visit. But they were low-key, don't want to pressure you, and I know you always feel, you know, this or that, but I started attending Carol. We were going to everything, and uh, I think that's how that's how the Lord used you it. Were going there. Not everything. <laughs> Sundays I was going. There's only two services. I Your Sundays came. Okay, you gotta get up. <laughs> Not the first few weeks. The first few weeks, I did that. Yeah. Then I started going. <laughs> yeah, there's so much uh, help and benefit in the, in the local church and the. The family that God has yeah. put us in. Yes, yes. So that was definitely a big piece of it. Ray started working. Did you see that? That yeah. made a big difference. Part time. Yeah. Stressed out, but he did it. Hmm. He got up and went to work. A couple of the men in our church had a roofing company and they asked me to come and help. And I think they paid me less than minimum wage, but no, I'm just kidding. I got paid, <laughs> but I wasn't very, I wasn't very, Probably I was a kind of anti-social, just leave me alone. And uh, they gave me a task that I didn't really appreciate. That's right. I got through it. And so there, from there on, things did start to change. Anyway, I'm thankful for that. You're talking about, you know, the physical body. That's uh, something that we just have to admit as, as human beings, biblical counselors, that the physical body does play a role in all these things. I mean, the the somatopsychic or the psychosomatic uh, relationship between the inner person and the outer person, the physical body, is real and it happens. And it's it's something that we don't understand, and and no one really understands it. I mean, you know, the the pure scientist, biologist, um, secular approach they they don't understand it. They're experimenting on the brain. They're trying to wake up the brain and do these uh, magnetic stimulation and get, you know, the brain waves focusing and, and you know, and, and, and reawakened or whatever they call it. But, um, you know, we don't know the body very well. And if physical things can help, you know, then God, God blessed us with that as part, as part of his grace you know that that we have um helps in that way so um you know who's to say this helped or hurt or whatever you know some of those things seem like they're kind of uh, um like a, a scam or something but you, you just never know so yeah yeah so but that was and i don't know if i said that so he went through that and it was shortly after that he was reading something and laughed. Mm. The first time I'd heard him laugh in four years. And yeah, I, I knew right then, that moment, he chuckled. It wasn't big, but he <laughs> chuckled. And I'm like, wow, I'm seeing Ray again. Yes, yes. I yeah. also know that I'm back in the real world because i've gained about a hundred pounds more than i had before so Good my diet you, I, I couldn't for you, <laughs> one of the men that had been here locally he left he's actually back up in louisville too and he'd been the headmaster of one of the schools here the, the elementary school really a great guy and he came to visit not too long ago and he commented why well, you look great you sound great it's really wonderful i said yeah i'm just a little bit I'm a little bit over on the weight side. He said, it's a reward. <laughs> so I said, thank you. I appreciate that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in the what 1800s, I don't know. I don't know when, but they, when they did paintings in uh, England, everyone who was royalty was overweight. And, you know, that was a sign of, uh, of uh you know prosperity and, and all that kind of thing and sure. and um and it's kind of true of americans today we're as prosperous as we've ever been and yet people are miserable you know and it, it's really, really sad to see yeah. 
many people are blessed and they don't even see it or know it, you know, because of the the lies. And and that's really kind of your testimony, you know, is is when we're thinking on the lies and our identity in the wrong way, and we're and we're weighed down. And every time we read the Bible, we're condemned, you know. Now, if you're an unbeliever, that is true, you know, you're you're condemned. But if you're a believer and you're reading that, you've got to see yourself in all the characters, kind of like the prodigal son. You know, I can see myself as the father, as the younger brother, and certainly as the older brother at times in my life. And so when we don't think biblically about things and really um, just like that verse we read in Matthew, sufficient is it, God's given us energy to deal with the troubles of today. And, and that's really all he's promised. He hasn't given me energy to worry about tomorrow. He's given me the energy to focus in on solving today's problems, taking care of today's responsibilities. And so when we get kind of warped and out of line and we're not taking care of our bodies and we're not thinking on truth and all that kind of stuff, you can get, this can overwhelm you, but God used it to lead you back to himself. And Amen. Amen. Great, Amen. great testimony. Thank you. It's it's one of the minor prophets, Amos Hosea, the, the, I put briars in your way, you know, to get you to turn around. It's, it's yeah. uncomfortable things to get you to return to me. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the God of the Bible, how he's revealed himself and whether or not, you know, people are ashamed of him or ashamed of the word, like they want to soften it or they want to apologize or they want to add to this or that, make it a little more palatable, a little nicer for people, a little more, you know, and it's just like, wow, what an abomination that is. We we have God's revealed himself to us, his heart. He knows what's best. And for me, for us to soften it or add to it, I think we can make it better. You know, the Bible, we, we can't. The Bible's sufficient, and God knows what he's doing, and um, and that's just been weighing on my heart is, is um, you know, am I rightfully presenting God, Christ, to the people that I serve and, and his word of truth? And so, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sounds good. Deep thoughts. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Well, and one more Bible verse to read here, and then I know we've got to go. The um, In 1 Peter 5, kind of the quintessential anxiety passage, starting verse 6, says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And it's like Ray and Carol, you're part of this, too. Uh, Ray, you did that. You humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, God may exalt you or lift you up, you know, from that. So you humbled yourself. You brought yourself low. God exalted you. He lifted you up, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And then it says, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen I amen. Think amen. bears that out yes amen yeah very thankful amen yes well we have a merciful gracious god amen. too and that was part of this journey too to say yeah no god didn't allow your life to be taken at that point mm. So he has a purpose and very graciously not allowing you to continue in, mm. in where he was heading. Yeah. God woke him up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I mean, I, as we were sitting here, as you, as I was listening, I was thinking about that and thinking, wow, that just kind of sums up what God did, what, what you did and, where you are now and and he's given you back your voice to serve him to 
minister to him in a way now that you understand brokenness better. You understand anxiety. You understand how people can can uh, fall to the frailties of life. There's a lot of pressures and, and hard things, and some of it was physical. Some of it was uh, spiritual, emotional, you know, the inner man. Um, but but God allowed you to be humbled. You were convicted, and you humbled yourself, and then he exalted you. It's And, and both of you guys. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Well, thanks, it was nice Josh. meeting you, and and thanks for doing this Zoom call too. That was yeah. very encouraging. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we could do it. And um, we were yeah. sharing in our small group, and um, a few weeks ago, just a little bit of our testimony. They said you need to write that down in a book. So, I mean, it is yeah. unique and it's beautiful because it's God's story. It's God's work in us. That's right. That's right. And he ultimately, he gets the glory, not any method or program or this or that. It's God. And and you can hear that in your story, the different threads, the different ways he he used things to reach you. You know, um, even Ray calling, get me out of here. You know, it it ends up being something God uses for good. And it's only our God, you know, who can do that. Amen. Mm-hmm.